0: Jim Brown's Outreach Capercast of Modern Nautical Lore. I'm Jim, the old Sea Runner guy, and I love to tell stories about modern seafaring watercraft and the people who have created and sailed them. And I love to hear stories from those people about their sailings and their boats. And so this is my ongoing collection of those stories. I call them capers because they are capricious. You know, when we land mammals venture out upon the waters of the world, anything can happen. Anything. And I think the caper potential is enhanced by these modern, lightweight watercraft. You know, the more you go to sea in them, the more they tend to make you feel invincible, and that can definitely lead to capers. Or maybe it is that People who tend to let themselves in for capers are the sort who also tend to embrace difference and change, so they may be naturally attracted to these vessels. I don't know why these boats and these people tend to generate such great stories, but I'm hoping that this podcast is maybe a way for us to find out. Now, it seems to me that the materials and technology that resulted from World War II have caused what I call an absolute sea change in marine architecture, which may be with us for generations to come. And when I contemplate the tremendous advances in seafaring that I've personally witnessed over just the last 60 or 70 years, and then try to fantasize on what seafaring will be like in another sixty or seventy years I mean the the projection is astounding for example just imagine what things like rigid wing sails and hydrofoils that are used today in the name of sport could mean in a future where the survival of civilization may well depend on our usage of renewable energy now of course, this post-war revolution in seafaring technology has been pretty well documented by the nautical press. But the trouble with documented history is that it tends to overlook the human perception of the past, or in this case, the change in the human attitude toward seafaring and the sea itself. And that particular aspect of history is best preserved in the oral tradition in lore. You know the kind of stories that sort of bubble up out of a beer bottle say after a long hot day in the boat shop and uh, somebody shows up at quitting time with a six-pack or let's say the boat and the crew is snuggled into a quiet anchorage after a long hard day to windward and now the stew is simmering and the wine is pouring. You know, stories that are told under those circumstances may never be written down. But they need to be preserved and shared as part of the oral heritage. And the way to do that these days, I guess, in this fast-paced world, is to tell them out loud on the Internet. Now, none of these stories are just made up, but some of them may be anecdotal. Things that I've heard from my design clients or from other sailors. Uh, an example of that might be those two guys that were sitting out a calm in their little 24-foot Nugget trimaran off the south coast of California. They had no motor so they were just sort of napping while waiting for a breeze and one of them looked up and saw that they were right in the path of a fast approaching cargo ship. You know in the open sea those things run at about 20 knots and it looked like they were really gonna get run down. So he woke up his companion and he said, hey look, and here came this great mound of froth being pushed up by the underwater bulbous bow of this ship. And it was pretty clear they were gonna get nailed. So they both dived over and swam like champions to try to get out of the way. And they watched as the bow wave of this thing simply pushed their little boat aside And they uh, watched it go spinning down the side of the passing ship. And after the stern wave and the the weight, they swam back to their boat and climbed aboard. Now, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But some of these anecdotes in my 50-year-long collection are documented. For instance, uh, there's a story about a very similar boat, those very popular owner-built 24-foot trimarans called the Nugget from the 1960s. Well, there's a picture of one of these boats hanging some 30 feet in the air from the end of a drawbridge. It's on that long viaduct that crosses the very southern end of San Francisco Bay. And the story goes that the bridge tender opened the drawbridge for a bunch of yacht traffic trying to get home on Sunday afternoon. And after the flock had passed, he began to lower the bridge back down when he noticed there was somebody pounding on the door of the bridge tender's cabin. It was the driver of a car who had gotten out to just take a breather while waiting for the bridge to clear, and he was yelling, Hey, there's a little boat down there! So the bridge tender started to raise the bridge again. Well, in the meantime, the vessel's mast had indeed encountered the bridge, and somehow a big stud bolt sticking out of the structure has gotten caught underneath the rigging at the masthead and up goes the boat and the people on board are like yeah (laughs) so the driver of the car is yelling hey they're dangling from your bridge so the bridge tender lets the bridge back down very carefully they become disentangled and sail home Now, those are just a couple of little vignettes about the ubiquitous Arthur Piver-designed nugget trimarans from the 1960s. Of course, our real capers will be full length, but as a matter of fact, it was my wife, Joanna, and I, and our friend, Dick York, who were the first to take one of those nugget trimarans to sea, 1959. And, uh, of course, I can tell you all about that one. I was there.
1: Not now, Jimmy. You cannot throw in everything at once. This is supposed to be just the introduction, for Pete's sake.
0: Oh, no. Christy! Ah, that's just Christy. I guess I better tell you about her. She's my, my digital heckler. But uh, we got to back up a little bit here. The original purpose of this podcast idea was to convert some of my articles and books into audio productions. I am really grateful to anyone who has bought my writing in text, and I hope you've enjoyed it. But it seems like today's busy people need audio productions so that they can listen while doing something else. Now it sounds simple enough to turn print into audio, you know, author reads book into microphone. But it's not so simple for me because this author can't read. Right. My eyesight has declined to the point where, well, I haven't been able to read much of anything for 20 years or so. But with the help of a couple of hoity-toid computer programs here, I can get Christy to read to me. But uh, nobody else wants to listen to much of that. You know how it sounds. Or just in case you don't, I have an example for you here. Please meet Christy, my caper casting assistant.
1: Hi there, I'm Christy. Jim doesn't like the way I sound, but he needs me and you'll see why. I mean the geezer can't read, but I'm telling you he can still blabber.
0: Actually, she ain't nothing but a sassy acronym. I call her Christie. C-R-I-S-T-I means can't read it, so tell it. And I can get her to read to me like a whole chapter and she can go real fast like this. The geezer can't read, but I'm telling you, he can still... Bla- uh, it's sort of like a run robo robocall, but with my memory thusly reconstituted, I can just sit here and, like, tell the story of that chapter to you. Now, it may not be quite the same chapter, you know, a little abridge here, a little update there. And my wife, Joanna, says I exaggerate, but... Uh, She's endured my sea stories for 57 years, and incidentally, she is on the helm when a lot of this stuff happens, and I confess that sometimes I forget what I've been talking about or else I'll go soaring off into some other caper, and that's when Christy gets after me.
1: I'll say, when he gets going, he tries to throw in everything at once. So I'm telling you, somebody has to keep the geezer on point.
0: Okay, we've got it, Christy. I get diverted sometimes because I realize that some of these stories have a lot of wisdom in them. And, you know, boating people like stories that they can learn something from. It's called how-to material. But it seems to me that much of what I've learned about boats and sailing has been hard learned from mistakes. Let's face it, you can get so screwed up in a boat so fast, and that's when you really learn So I think this CaperCast would be a good place for us to include some how-not-to material. Man, there's so much to include these days. I'm feeling rushed, you know. We're learning so much so fast. Design, materials, tactics, and don't forget love, hate, politics, faith, hope, charity. You know, I'm ticking off my 80s, and more and more it seems that life is like a roll of toilet paper. When it's new, it looks like it's going to last forever, but the more you use it up, the faster it runs out. You know, zip!
1: (laughs) But listen, Jimmy, that's how not to do it. If you geezers get into a big deal hurry, you sure can make the roll run out faster, but you cannot flush down the whole thing in one caper cast. Really. Time itself started running with the Big Bang, and we'd best not try to stop it up. It's all we've got to keep everything from happening at once.
0: Oh, (laughs) that's pretty good, Christy. I like that. But listen here, girl. You don't get to philosophize here. This is my soapbox, and I intend to use it to tell how profoundly our boats can influence our lives. We can see ourselves in them. They show us who we are. They even show the whole world who we are. (laughs) You know, the whole wide world and a pig. Good grief. I don't get to philosophize,
1: but he gets to pontificate.
0: All right, that's enough. I'm going to close her program. Let's see. Control, shift. There, that ought to shut her up. So this might be my only chance to make just a few uninterrupted announcements about the nature of this podcast endeavor then we can go on and get into the real capers with you knowing at least a little something about what you're in for here now some listeners may know of me as a long time proponent of the multi-hull type of vessels you know catamarans trimarans proas and the like and it's true i now shamelessly confess to being a convicted multi-hull dude But that wasn't always the case. I actually came from a a very traditional commercial sailing background and I still love monohull vessels, especially the big ones, but I own a couple of little ones and I must admit that I was grossly offended by the first multi-hull I ever saw. That was about 1956. So I think I understand that the ascendance of the multi-hull type—I mean, their established epic voyages and their setting essentially all of the transoceanic speed records today, and even their iconic dominance in the America's Cup—all of that cannot help but constitute a countercultural, anti-yachting assault on the traditional Corinthian community. But this here CaperCast is not intended to be all multi-hull. Indeed, with the participation of our listeners, our interviews with them, and their submitted stories, we hope to cover all manner of seafaring watercraft here. Recreational and commercial, power and sail, multi-hull and mono-hull. But at this launching, I've got to set sail with my own stories. The thing about a podcast is that you pretty much have to start out with 8 or 10 episodes already prepared before starting to post anything. Now, I contend that it was the early post-war multi-hulls that really blazed the trail into modern lightweight seafaring. And furthermore, my own modern monohull experience is rather limited. And so, our initial episodes will be confined to multi-hull development. And that will give our listeners the time to provide the balance of future monohull content. Anyway, we have big plans for this caper cast. I'll be telling you about our 20-year-long outrig project in nautical history, It's the umbrella project under which this podcast is to become the lore component. Then I intend to do some more telephone interviews. We have a bunch of them at OutRigMedia.com right now. People seem to really enjoy them. I intend to do some field recordings. Let's hope that they happen aboard, afloat, instead of in a field. And, you know, everybody has boat stories. We're hoping very much that our listeners will, you know, if you have a relevant yarn to spin, let us know. We'd be pleased to have you tell it to us on the phone, but you can contact me directly first by email. It's outrig.org at gmail.com. We accept that lore may be abridged or augmented or even exaggerated. That's all part of the oral tradition. But after all, lore is history, so this stuff cannot be just made up. All you need is to tell it to us like it happened, and we will carefully consider it for posting here on Jim Brown's Outrig Capercast. Now, Christie has me convinced that we should keep these sessions down to something less than 20 minutes. That's as long as anyone's going to want to listen to my trombone, and it also makes the audio files small enough to be shared around as attachments to email. Now, to sustain this shindig, we're going to invite advertisers, and I promise we will do our best to keep the spots from intruding on the stories. And we'll be using the Capercast to help raise funding for the outrig project. We want to make the highlights of the whole 20-year collection available online and that's going to take some dough but if we just happen upon a Spanish galleon, a real treasure ship, we may even be able to produce a documentary film. Now when I say we, I mean it. I can't do this alone. I have two accomplices Mr. Scott Brown, my Canadian cinematographer friend. We have a trove of video footage, over 30 on-camera interviews with modern seafaring luminaries. And then there's our publisher, Mr. Joe Farinaccio. Some of you know him as the Small Try Guy at SmallTrimerants.com, but he's also the force behind our marketing arm, OutRigMedia.com. Lots of information products that are related to the podcast. So if we're going to reach any of these destinations, it's about time we get underway here. With the participation of our listeners, there's just no telling where this boat ride is going to take us. Our official float plan says that we don't know where we're going and we don't know when we're coming back, but the forecast looks okay. Hey, Tiger.
1: You'd better tell them to bring their own life jackets.
0: Oh, how did she get here? (sighs) Looks like we've got our own digital stowaway. But uh, who knows where we're going. Maybe we're going to need her. So if you'd like to come along on this kind of a boat ride, well, we're casting off for caper number one. And we hope to find the island where true modern seafaring really began. Welcome aboard.